Hi, welcome to Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood, the podcast for women over 45. My name's Karen O'Connor. I'm a blogger, author, entrepreneur, property developer, mother of four, and I've been married for 30 years. I love health and fitness and anything creative, and I'm absolutely fascinated with personal development and psychology. Join me each week for conversations about life beyond 45. I'll have inspiring stories, lots of guest interviews and tips and tricks to hack our brains so we can intentionally and deliberately create an amazing future for ourselves. If it's your first time here, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. I'd love it if you share this episode with your friends on social media and let me know your key takeaways because I'd love to hear them. Enjoy and welcome to this episode of the Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Hello and welcome. Today I'm going to talk about the big topic of motherhood. I've been online for three and a half years or so now and I generally avoid the topic of motherhood and particularly the parenting side of motherhood. I might talk about the things that have happened with my children so if you check out my blog there's lots of posts about what's happened with my kids but I don't like giving parenting advice and I don't like to put out there my own views on parenting because people just get so uptight about their own views on parenting and it just leads to arguments and I don't want the conflict so I generally avoid it because basically I'm a big coward at heart. You know, I want everybody to like me like we all do and I want to keep the peace so I just avoid it. But if I'm really honest with myself, I've had several conversations with friends who have younger children and they've made these comments that parents telling their children what to do is old fashioned and that in fact these days the right thing to do is for parents to discuss things with their children. Now there's nothing wrong with discussion. I always explained what and why we were doing things with my kids and then we'd have a conversation about it. But make no mistake, the final decision about what we were doing and what the kids were doing was mine. So what I'm going to say today goes against a lot of the current beliefs about how to raise children, because I personally believe that children need strong rules and clear boundaries and consequences. So let me give you a bit of background. I've got four children who are all getting towards being grown ups or else they are actually grown up. My eldest son, Jamie, is 25 and his younger brother, Ryan, is 24. The two girls, Kira and Keely, are aged 20 and 16. I have to say, I'm not quite sure how I ended up with four children. I knew that I wanted an even number of children because I didn't want one to be left out. But after I'd had the two boys, I wanted a little bit of a break before I had any more kids. So when Ryan was about three years old, I went back to work. I never really enjoyed being a stay-at-home mum and after getting back into the workforce I decided that you know what I really didn't want any more children I didn't want to do the whole stay-at-home mum thing anymore and to be honest the cost of childcare meant that if I did have any more children particularly while the boys were still young I'd be working just to avoid staying at home I'd have very little income left over once I'd paid all the childcare fees and the before and after school care fees and everything So when I made that decision, I asked John, or when we made that decision, I asked John if he could go and get the snip, go and get a vasectomy. I didn't want to stay on the pill any longer than I had to. So to me, it seemed like the logical solution. John wasn't too keen on the idea, though. 
he, it's something to do with guys, isn't it? He was booked in to have the procedure several times, but he kept being too busy at work and he put it off. He'd phone up and just cancel the appointment. One night, we'd had a little bit too much to drink and decided that just this once, we won't use protection, we'd be fine. And I got pregnant. And then four years later, having not learned my lesson and John still putting off his little operation, the same thing happened. I had one too many glasses of wine, thought I'd be okay. I was 39 at this point and found myself pregnant again. This time I was really upset with myself, but particularly with John. I'd been planning my 40th birthday and I'd even booked the venue. Me and my friends were going to go to Jungle Gym to throw ourselves into the foam pit and generally behave like big kids and have a fabulous time. But now I was pregnant, there was no way I could do that. Looking back now, I got my perfect family. I got two boys and then two girls. But at the time, I was absolutely furious. I spent the entire nine months in a foul temper. I don't like being pregnant to begin with, but being pregnant with my fourth child at 40 years of age was just a bit too much for me. I remember somebody told me when I was pregnant with Keely that once you get to three kids, any extra children don't make a difference. It's all kind of just the same. I can tell you right now, they lied. Having that fourth child made such a difference. For example, you can't use a normal car. You've got to get a people mover. And it's a lot of extra work. Running around with that extra child, cooking for four teenagers instead of three, all the additional school activities. The only way I could get through the whole thing was to be really organised and really strict about who was doing what when. And if somebody broke a rule and stuffed the whole thing up, then there were going to be consequences. I'm telling you this to kind of explain why I'm so hot on rules and discipline and everything else. It makes me sound like a tyrant, but it was the only way that I could keep some level of control and do the best that I could for the kids, which is what we all want as parents. And like I said earlier, I believe wholeheartedly that each child should fully understand why they had to do or not do things, regardless of whether they agreed with it or not. They had to understand it. But if they then chose to break the rule or do something that I'd asked them not to do, then they knew there would be consequences. That wasn't just for my kids either. If the kids had friends over, I'd explain the rules to them and they'd be expected to abide by them, even if they were different rules to what they had at home. This is all my own personal experience that I'm talking about here. You might have a completely different personality to me and deal with things in a completely different way. What I'm talking about here are my observations and my opinions and what I have seen works and doesn't work. Kids, boys in particular, I love boys, I've got to say that, but boys in particular love testing the boundaries. They love to find out just how far they can go, just what they can get away with. And they also love to know what the rules are so they can test the rules and whoever put the rules in place to see whether they'll really carry out the consequences. That's actually really important to remember because when the kids break the rules, part of the reason they're breaking them is to find out whether the person who put the rule in place is going to apply the consequences or not. It's a test of you as a parent or me as a parent. Whenever the kids had friends over, the first time they came round, I'd go through all the rules. They were fairly basic and obvious. They were just pretty much about staying safe and being respectful. Things like don't run in the pool area, don't push people in, don't do anything stupid, just the basic things. There was invariably always one child that broke the rules. 
the first time they broke the rule. I'd remind them what the rules were in my house and I'd explain the whole thing to them again. The second time they broke the rule, they got yelled at, just as though they were one of my kids. The third time they broke the rule, it was three strikes and you're out. They went straight home. What was really interesting was that the kids soon learned, don't mess about at Mrs. O'Connor's house because she's really strict. And I found that once we got over the initial sulks and anger, the kids then behaved brilliantly. It was really hard work at first, but it was so much easier and so much less stressful in the long run. The second really unexpected thing was that the kids actually liked coming over to my house. They knew what the rules were and they knew that the consequences would be carried out if they broke the rules. It was really simple. Life was really simple. And I'm going to go off at a bit of a tangent here because I've got to tell a bit of a background story about something. When the kids were younger, they were at a Montessori school and I'm a big, big, big fan of the Montessori way of teaching children. In traditional Montessori schools, the children are in classrooms in three-year age groups. So say, for example, from age three to six, from seven to nine and so on. Maria Montessori's studies of children back in the 1930s show that they have a really high learning curve for 18 months and then it tapers off for the next 18 months and that this starts at three years of age. To make the most of this, Maria put the children in classes covering a three-year age group. In the first 18 months, the kids learn pretty much everything they're going to learn in the entire three years. In the second 18 months, Maria hit on the genius idea of getting the older kids to work with the younger ones, teaching them the things that they'd just learned in the previous 18 months. By doing this, the older children had to fully understand and be able to communicate what they'd learned. So it consolidated all of their learnings and really set them up for the next stage when they were on the upwards curve of their learning again. My children did really, really well at Montessori, but it's not for everyone. Unfortunately, when Jamie was about 10, we moved house and so the children had to move school. I moved them to another Montessori school or what we believed was a Montessori school, but it turned out it was nothing like the Montessori school that they'd come from. It was more of a free-for-all school. I think people who don't understand Montessori think the children just do what they want to do, but that's not the case. It's actually very, very disciplined. This new school was not disciplined at all. The kids had been at the school for about a year and a half and the two boys came to me a week before the school year started to tell me that they wanted to move schools. When I asked them why, the boys said, we don't feel safe there. There's no rules. Well, there are rules, but there's no consequences for breaking the rules and nobody cares about the rules anyway, so we don't feel safe. When I asked them where they wanted to go, they picked the most unlikely school I could ever have imagined. It was a traditional, high-end, single-sex private school, one of the top schools in the country, which we just happened to live nearby. I never thought in a million years that the boys would ever want to go there, but they did. And honestly, it was the best thing they could have done. There were really strict rules at the schools, and there were really strong consequences if you broke those rules. If you use your mobile phone, you got your mobile phone taken off you. If you played footy near the classroom, they paid the penalty for it. They knew the rules, they knew the consequences, and so they felt safe. They knew how to act. Now, this is the boys talking here. This is not me. The consequences didn't stop them from breaking the rules, but having those consequences imposed gave the boys certainty. 
A few years after the boys started at the school, they organised a speaker to come and talk to the parents. Her name was Celia Lashley. She'd been a prison warder in a juvenile detention centre in New Zealand and had gone on to study psychology. She did a lot of research and observation of the boys that she'd worked with in juvenile detention and wrote a book about it. I highly recommend the book. It's a great read and I'll put a link to it in the notes on the website that go with the podcast. From her observations and studies of the boys in juvenile detention, Celia came to the conclusion that boys need really clear, well-defined rules and really clear, well-defined consequences for breaking those rules and that those consequences need to be enforced no matter what. Because what she found was as long as the boys understand why those boundaries are there and what consequences will be carried out if they break those rules and go beyond the boundaries, then they feel safe and they feel happy. Boys will always break the rules. Kids will always break the rules. They'll always push the boundaries. And like I said earlier, one of the reasons they do that is to test whoever is in charge. It's the ones who don't have rules and boundaries who don't feel safe. And the majority of kids in juvenile detention are ones who've not had rules and boundaries and consequences placed on them. Girls need rules, but in a different kind of way. Celia focused on boys because she was in a male juvenile detention centre. This is where I'm going to step over the edge now, and I'm really, really quite nervous about me. It seems to me that the current modern way of raising boys is a very feminine one. And what I mean by that is that it's all about having conversations and dealing with things in a gentle, communicative way where we discuss things and talk about our feelings. I'm not sure that this works and I'm certainly not convinced about it. I could just be really old fashioned and really outdated, but Honestly, from my experience and my children's experience and my observation of them, boys want rules. Girls want rules too, but boys want things stated to them clearly in as few words as possible. They don't want conversations. They want to know what's expected of them and what's going to happen if they don't do that. After that, they'll push the boundaries to test whether you'll apply the consequences. If you don't, there's a high possibility that while there might be a feeling of victory for the child in the short term, ultimately the child doesn't feel safe. And if they don't feel safe, they can't grow and explore. Celia Lashley said, the boys who haven't experienced rules and consequences in a positive way, not a tyrannical one, are the ones who are the most unhappy. They have no certainty or predictability in their lives, which can lead to anger and frustration. A key point in all this is that kids need to understand that rules aren't arbitrary. They need to understand why the rules are there, even if they don't agree with or like them. One of the great things about raising and teaching kids for me is that I've had to get crystal clear on why I think or believe certain things. And this whole rule thing is one of them. To me, it's imperative that we understand the rules because if we don't understand them and we don't understand why they're there, then we can't move beyond them. Only by understanding everything that goes on, why people do certain things, why the rules are in place, why people act certain ways, only by understanding all that can we move beyond it and grow and possibly change the rules. The main thing that guided me when I was bringing up the children were my own core values, knowing what was important to me and then translating that into my relationship with the kids. And one of the biggest things for me is respect. 
If I wouldn't like to be treated in a particular way, I'm not going to treat anyone else, including my children, in that way. In terms of my relationship with the kids, this meant that I never spoke down to them. They're little human beings. They might be inexperienced little human beings and they might be being little shits of little human beings right now, but they're still human beings. And I treat them and talk to them in a way that I'd expect to be spoken to. I don't like being patronised, so I wouldn't talk to my kids in a patronising way. Just because they don't know something yet doesn't mean they're stupid or slow. I'd explain things to them clearly, working from an assumption that they're really bright, really kind people, and whatever it was I was explaining, it's what they need to do because it's the right thing to do by yourself and other people, and I'd give them all the reasons for it. My kids aren't perfect, I'm not perfect, we're all human, and just because I've explained something to the kids to the best of my ability, it doesn't mean that they'll either do it or take on board what I said, no matter how well I said it. But that's the kids learning. I've done my bit in making sure I've communicated to the best of my ability in a way that works for them. If they choose not to take it on board, then they get to live with the consequences. I'm the adult. It's my responsibility to make sure that what the kids are doing is the best thing for everyone concerned. I've kept my mouth shut about this because there are so many people who believe that the child knows what's best for itself. But the way I look at it is this. I have decades more life experience than my child and their well-being is my responsibility. I will always listen to their thoughts and input and I will always see things from their point of view. But if I think that they're making a mistake or that what they're doing is dangerous, not in their best interest or downright stupid, then it's my responsibility to explain to them why I think that, discuss the whole thing and then we do things my way. That's my responsibility as a parent. The best example I could think of was if I'm walking down the road with my child and my child starts to step out into the road without looking whether there's any cars coming and I shout, stop, I don't want a discussion about that. If I say something in a particular tone of voice, it needs responding to immediately and without hesitation. Otherwise, I can't keep my child safe. The other big one is no. To me, no has always meant no. There are no hard no's or soft no's, there's just no. And if I say no, the kids are more than welcome to explain why they think that's the wrong answer and why they think the answer should be yes, and I will listen to it and possibly change my mind. But if they throw themselves on the floor, stomp out or start yelling at me that I'm mean, then they'll find a no about several other things flying their way too, even if I've already said yes to them. I'm far from perfect and yelling at me will often result in me not only yelling back but also massively curtailing any pleasurable activities that kids had planned. As a parent, I'm the guide. Like a guide on a mountain trip, it's my responsibility to make sure that I share my knowledge and equip the group as best as I can for the journey ahead. I wouldn't be doing my job if I let the members of the group wander to the edge of the cliff and walk over it, or if I didn't warn them of possible dangers and make sure they understood. I'm not doing my job if I let them ignore me and do what they want to do, nor am I doing my job if I didn't have them look up and see the beauty around them. I also want them to be able to think for themselves. If I'm passing over my understanding of everything and explaining the way things are, then I also want my children to pick that up and run with it and see if they can find different ways of doing things. Most of all, my job is to have them understand themselves. 
to learn how they work, where they're most powerful, where they feel helpless, how they behave in certain situations, what works for them, what doesn't, what scares them, what defeats them, what makes them feel good. My job is to have them understand all that and make the most of it. Sometimes this means placing limits on what the child can do at that time. It means saying no. If we say no, it's got to mean no. It's my belief that as parents, it's our job to step up to the plate and take responsibility. It's our job to teach our children the things they need to know. Just because they don't think it's necessary from where they're sat right now doesn't mean that they're right or that they don't need to learn it. If we, with our decades of additional experience, can see that this is actually what they need right now, then that's what they need. To me, to not do that because the child doesn't like it or is going to get upset or throw a tantrum or storm out and call me names, to not do that because of how your child might react is just avoiding taking responsibility and stepping up to the plate. To be really blunt, it's being a flake to the people who are most important in our lives. So I did it. Got all that out. I'll put a couple of links up in the show notes. One to the book of Celia Lashley's. It's called He'll Be Okay. I highly recommend it. She's a fabulous writer and it's a really good read. And the other link I'll put up is to a post that I published the other week containing pretty much what I said here, but it also has an article in there by a psychiatrist who, yeah, who basically agrees with everything I've said, which is really rather nice. So that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. I would love to hear your thoughts on this. It will be fascinating to see what other people think and to hear about your experiences. Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood podcast. I'm Karen O'Connor. Join me next time for more conversation, laughter and fun as we navigate our way through all the things that midlife throws at us. Please click on the subscribe button so you get notifications of new episodes. And don't forget that all the links and information that we've spoken about in this podcast is available on the podcast page of my website. If you have any ideas for topics you'd like us to chat about, or if you have an inspiring story that you'd like to share, I'd love to hear from you. And constructive feedback is always welcome. Thanks so much for listening. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next time. Bye for now.